0: from New York I'm Julia Chatterley this is first move and here's your need to know cash crunch payments come due as Moody says millions more in the u.s. are out of work slowing infections a glimmer of hope in coronavirus growth rates from Italy and Spain and a zoom bomb the video conferencing app under pressure over privacy it's Tuesday let's make a move Welcome, as always, to our first movers around the globe. We have a jam-packed show for you today, and I'm glad to say it's full of innovation in times of crisis, plus a look at the quarter that was. What a journey the last few months have been ending, of course, with the global war against the coronavirus. Let me bring you up to speed because we began through a record top in mid-February and the Dow at 30,000, the Nasdaq 10,000 within striking distance, then We saw the fastest descent into bear market territory on record. Truly one of the most tumultuous three months in Wall Street and, of course, health history too. At the moment... We're looking at a lower open for U.S. stocks after Monday's 3% advance. Europe has turned mostly lower too. But all eyes on China's data first today as they begin to kickstart their economy. Chinese manufacturing survey data bounced from a record low in February. Any number, just to give you a sense, above 50 means that manufacturing is what we call in expansionary territory. Now, I've read plenty of scepticism about these numbers primarily because they're from China. But let's just be clear, they don't reflect the level of business activity, simply the direction. So a small rebound from last month will give you this kind of lift. The bottom line is that the rebound that we're hoping to see will take time, but business is resuming. And I do think that's key to to recognise here. Now, during the Asia session, Hong Kong and South Korean stocks were the outperformers yet. On the quarter, the Nikkei fell some 20%. The Hang Seng was down 16%. And Chinese stocks, in fact, were the relative outperformer down just, and I say just, under 10%. China remains a beacon of hope for those elsewhere and they continue to fight the virus and of course as we watch the economic costs mount up. Let's get to the drivers because Christine Romans joins me now. Christine that data from China is one thing. This week, particularly if we hone in on expectations for the claims for unemployment benefits in the United States, some estimates now Moody's analytics saying 4.5 million people an additional to the 3.3 we saw last week.
1: Millions and millions of Americans Mm. are out of work, are losing their jobs. They are being laid off. They're also being furloughed. You look at some of the companies with furloughs, Gannett, uh, Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, Macy's and Kohl's. The interesting thing about those furloughs is they keep their health care through their company and the government will pay their unemployment benefits as close to their full salary as possible for four months. So the the U.S. government has designed a a rescue, a a Band-Aid package here to keep people, as many people as possible, kind of uh, running in place at least over the next um, uh, a few weeks and months. So those layoffs and those furloughs are just devastating. But the government's trying to get the money out there. Now, this week, you're absolutely right. I mean, the money isn't out yet and people are out of work. The bills are due. It's the end of the first quarter. Companies have bills in the uh, uh, quarter to end. And tomorrow is April 1st. Rent and mortgage is due. Yeah,
0: it's uh, it's painful,
1: Most of the data, though, this week is from a parallel universe
0: before we saw the lockdown happen. So it's why I sort of reiterated that that claims number, even the payrolls on Friday, not really of relevance because the the timing period of when the data is collected. It brings to mind the Goldman Sachs report that came out and they've been scrambling to keep up to speed with their predictions here. Their Q3
1: estimates look incredibly rosy in my mind. It looks like a V, not a U. I'm hearing a lot of U-shaped recession, uh, you know, a gradual recovery. But Goldman Sachs is saying a 9% contraction in the first quarter in the economy in the U.S., 34% in the second, and then a bounce back uh, in the third of some 19% or so. And, uh, you know, they've got a really big unemployment rate, too, you know, for the middle of the summer. I think that the unemployment rate targets at this point, Julia, are anybody's guess. They're going to be big. We're going to have an historic summer uh, after an historic quarter quite frankly something we've never seen before here these numbers are going to be ugly in the near term stimulus is going to be key here and i'm sure you're hearing the chatter that uh this 2.3 trillion that hasn't Mm. even gone out the door yet there's gonna have to be more on top of that
0: yeah if this is the stabilization part this money this is to try and hold things together what ultimately kickstarts the recovery once we get the other side of this and and hopefully if we've mitigated not, you know, too much damage in the interim. Whether or not we need more money, I think, at the back end um, is an open question. And as you and I seem to agree here, more will be required.
1: Yeah, it's going to have to beat the virus first and then try to figure out what the new normal is going to be. We don't know what the economy that comes out late fall. It will be a different economy than a year ago, don't you think? I mean, you're going to have a reassessment of consumer patterns. And as you've pointed out so many times, confidence is key. must be confident in the health situation before the economy can come back.
0: Absolutely. Christine Romans, great to have you with us. Thank Thank you. you. All right, now to the latest on the battle against coronavirus. The world's biggest outbreak in the United States is getting worse. The country recorded its highest daily death count overnight. The total now stands at more than 3,000 lives lost. New York is driving the surge. Almost half the country's fatalities are recorded in the state in the scramble to increase hospital capacity. New York City has set up extensive care units in central Park. Mark, and that's what you're looking at right now. In Belgium, authorities reported the death of a 12-year-old girl. This amid numerous reports of the virus striking younger people. New Zealand says 26% of its patients are in their 20s. As the US and Europe grapple with quickly rising death toll, a glimmer of hope seems to be emerging. New infection rates in Spain and Italy appear to be slowing since the shutdown measures went into place. Spanish health officials say the peak may be close if it's not already here. Elizabeth Cohen joins me now on this. There's so much information there, Elizabeth. Let's hone in to what we're seeing in, in the likes of Italy and Spain. Are we suggesting that the growth rate here in the number of cases is slowing?
2: Right, Julia, that is possible. That is what they're hoping they're seeing. They see the peak maybe soon, but they're not actually sure. And I want to stress here, this is new territory for everyone. And so when you hear these projections, remember that they are projections and that nobody has a crystal ball. But that is certainly what they're thinking. They're thinking that all of this social distancing, all of these rules may be finally paying off.
0: Yeah, it's hope. We're just looking for a glimmers of hope wherever we can find them. Elizabeth, I want to turn to the number of counts of younger people that we're hearing. It's certainly a topic of conversation here in the United States in particular. And I just, my mind went back to a discussion that we were having a few months ago about an epidemic of vaping, of use of things like marijuana in this country. Is that in any way perhaps Connected to what we're seeing among young people. It is a lung disease, after all, or are we grasping at straws here?
2: You know, Julia, we really just don't know. Is it Mm. possible? Yes, it's possible. Because anything that damages the lungs is going to put you at a higher risk for getting very sick or for dying um, in this outbreak. Let's look at France, for example. They've had about 30 people under the age of 44 um, end up in the ICU. About half of those have had underlying conditions and half of them haven't. Underlying conditions are things like uh, obesity or lung problems or heart problems. Now, the interesting question is, Why are people ending? Why are young people without underlying conditions ending up in the ICU? And the answer is that we sort of have to turn to, for example, flu. When every flu season, we report on young people, children, people in their teens, their 20s, 30s, 40s, who end up in intensive care or who sadly end up dying. And when you ask infectious disease experts, why, why this person? They were perfectly fine beforehand. They say, we don't know. All we know is that some Some young people do have very robust uh, immune systems, and that it actually comes to hurt them. It's not even so much the virus, in this case, coronavirus, that kills them. It's actually their response to it. It becomes sort of overblown, and that ends up hurting the body. We're not sure that that's what's happening here with coronavirus because no one's had time to study it. This is so new and happening at such a frantic pace, but that may be what we're seeing here.
0: Yeah, it's so hard to study the data when you're so busy trying to save lives. Elizabeth Coates great. great to have you with us. Thank you so much for your insight. Thanks. Right, There are signs that the world's second largest economy is restarting its engines. Chinese government data suggests manufacturing activity has rebounded in March. John Defteris has all the details for us, John. And I mentioned earlier on the show, what's not captured here is the amount of activity, but the change in direction, i.e. a kickstart of the economy, is captured. And that's crucial.
3: It is for planning and the order books going forward, at least in the domestic economy. I think we have to be careful about what the demand will be in China on the ground there in the mainland and then outbound. And I'll explain that in a second. But we're coming off the worst performance since they created those figures back in 2005, Julia. So 52 is above the line, a positive nature in terms of purchase orders going forward. But I wouldn't call it a V-shaped recovery. We're expecting a contraction in the first quarter since 1976. Uh, when they had the Cultural Revolution. That caused some chaos for the economy. Now, my hesitation here is because of export orders. They were down 17% in February. We'll get the data in mid-April. But you have to think because of the state of play in the United States and Europe right now, we're gonna see a similar contraction for export orders. So I'm not very confident. Xiaomi, uh, the telecom equipment manufacturer, is suggesting though that they are about 80 to 90% of capacity right now in terms of manufacturing. So that is a positive. The one thing I'm surprised by, so far at least, the central bank and the Ministry of Finance not announcing anything in terms of the scale of what we've seen within the G7 in terms of stimulus. When did they decide to bring out the big guns after they see the data uh, throughout April here and say, look, we need to give it a lift uh, going into the second quarter and the second half of uh, 2020 or not. We're waiting for that.
0: You raise such a great point there as well, though, about who they ultimately sell to. If their production internally is for others internally, then that growth Mm. is reinforcing. But with the rest of the world seemingly struggling still with the virus and in lockdown, who can they sell to, at least in the short term, which is such an important point. The other issue here for, for... nations around China is when when China slows down, everyone feels it. They have a voracious appetite for all sorts of things, including commodities and some very stark warnings from the World Bank today about the poverty risk in other nations as a result of China's slowing.
3: Well, it's a great point you bring up here because the World Bank is putting to paper what we were talking about for the last couple of weeks, uh, Julia, uh, the slowdown in China, the impact of the coronavirus showing up in the numbers that they're outlining for all of 2020. Uh, We had in East Asia a growth of better than 6% in 2019. Uh, The base case scenario for the World Bank is just over 2%. They're saying the worst case, get this 0.1% or a contraction. So a swing of 6%. No surprise is going to have an impact on poverty going forward. And quite a swing here, Julia, 46 million. See if I can explain it correctly. They're expecting to see 35 million come out of poverty in 2020. As a result of the coronavirus, that could expand. The poverty will grow by 11 million. So that's the swing of 46 million right now. Uh, Let's not bury the headline here. They had an outlook on China, which grew just over 6% in 2019. They're expecting above 2%, which is awful. They're saying worst case scenario, 0.1% for 2020. Uh, And they're saying, and I think this is very difficult for the developing countries like Indonesia, Philippines, step on the healthcare, move into urgent action. That's very hard to do when the crisis is in your face already.
0: Yes, but John, to your point as well about China, we're always a bit cautious about them overstimulating the economy. Now is not a time to be shy, particularly in targeted areas like that, for example. John Defterius, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Now, from G20 World leaders reportedly using it to kindergarten kids, it seems that just about everyone is using the video conferencing app Zoom to bridge the gap in our social distancing age. But as a previously unknown company becomes a household name, some say we may be forgetting the privacy risks familiar for more traditional social media. Claire Sebastian joins me now. Claire, what are you hearing about the potential privacy risks here associated with Zoom?
4: Yeah, Julia, an increasing number of questions are being asked as this app surges in popularity. The stock price, by the way, up some 120 percent this year, even as the rest of the market, as you know, uh, has created. Right now, we know there's a class action suit that was launched Monday in California, where an individual uh, alleges that Zoom, uh, as it's grown in popularity, is failing to safeguard the personal data of its customers. It says uh, that when you log in, uh, it discloses certain information to third parties like Facebook. Now, this is something that Zoom has addressed. They put out a blog post last week where they admitted that if you log into Zoom via Facebook, it does share some personal information, things like your device model, your IP address, but they released an update. They say they've patched it. They encourage users to download that update. The class action though says, the damage is already done to, to, to people and, and to their trust. So this is something that Zoom is increasingly facing. They are at a sort of a defining moment for the company. As you say, the G20, things like UK cabinet meetings are being held on there. They've made it available uh, to a lot of different schools. And meanwhile, we've seen security issues, a phenomenon known as Zoom bombing, where hackers have sort of dropped in uninvited to meetings and displayed graphic content uh, and things like that. So, so even as Zoom increases in popularity, they are under increasing pressure to try to deal
0: uh, with these issues that, that come out of this popularity, Julia. Yes, and not necessarily, as we're showing you pictures there of a G20 meetings, not necessarily <laughs> dropping bombs in those G20 meetings, all reportedly there, of course, on the use there. Interesting times and, of course, very much tied to the fact that so many people are working from home now, including big corporations and vast majority of their staff. Claire Sebastian, thank you so much for that. All right, Amazon has fired the employee behind Monday's walkout at a New York fulfillment center. Amazon say Christian Smalls was supposed to be at home under quarantine with pay after he was in close contact with another employee that had tested positive for coronavirus. Smalls had demanded the facility be closed and sanitized. He says he's being punished by Amazon and that it reflects the company's culture. Much more ahead on First Move. Coming up, a race to make ventilators. A growing number of companies joining the effort, including an aerospace firm. Plus, one of the largest 3D printing companies in the United States is now helping to make medical supplies. Innovation in times of crisis. Coming up. Welcome back to First Move, where we're still on track for a lower open for U.S. markets this morning. Lots of data to come this week. That's the thing to keep an eye on on both health and on the ailing U.S. economy, as we've discussed those jobless claims on Thursday, perhaps the key. Oil finishing up the first quarter with modest gains after falling to 18-year lows on Monday. Brent and U.S. crude have tumbled more than 60% since January. That's the worst quarter for oil on record. Growth concerns and supply, excess supply, of course, too. Manufacturers from different industries, meanwhile, around the world are answering the call for more medical equipment. In the United States, General Motors says it expects to deliver its first 20,000 masks to frontline workers next week. Ford says it will build 50,000 life-saving ventilators in 100 days. To the UK, Canauer Dyson is designing new ventilators and helping traditional medical supply providers to ramp up their production. And in France, Peugeot maker PSA has teamed up with three other companies to produce 10,000 respirators by mid-May. Another company in focus, Smile Direct Club is the first direct-to-consumer medical tech platform for teeth straightening. And in the space of a week, they turned around their 3D printing prowess to make 1,000 face shields per day. Joining us now is Smile Direct Club's head of global supply chain, Dan Baker. Dan, fantastic to have you with us. Just talk to me about the decision-making process and how you suddenly, in the space of just a handful of days, decided to do this.
5: Yeah, good morning, Julia. Thanks for having me. You know, we saw the uh, obviously the pandemic start to uh, to really spread across the world, and particularly here in the U.S. back at the start of March. And our executive leadership team had the foresight to say, you know, how we're going to be asked to help here, and so what do we what do we need to do? So my team in manufacturing and in R and D started to look at some of the uh, the, sh- the shortness that we were seeing in medical supplies that was being well reported. And and we started to switch gear to investigate face shields and face masks because that was really where the chronic supply shortage was going to be. And in the space of of sort of, as you say, 10 days, we pivoted, uh, we we repurposed a lot of our manufacturing assets here. I've got 60 industrial sized HP printers. And, um, you know, we we started to produce um, face shields last week. And I've got an example here the 3D printed part at the top and at the bottom a simple piece of PET, a rubber band and lo and behold you know the medical professional has some very simple but effective extra um, uh, precaution to uh, to be able to treat the patients. Um, I will say it's more than 1,000 per day Julia it's actually 7,500 per day that wow. looking to and <laughs> it's the real benefit of Smile direct, right we've got one of the probably the, the world's largest, but certainly one of the largest 3D print shops here in the US. So it's our scale that allows us to make such a big and immediate impact.
0: I mean, this is incredible. You're also, and we've talked about this a lot throughout the last few weeks, a swab shortage. And you're also trying to tackle that as well.
5: Correct. You know, swabs, if you think about it, there's 350 million people just here in the US. And uh, it's great to see the number of tests obviously increasing in the last week or so, but there's still going to be a shortage for swabs. So swabs is one product we've made. It obviously requires some more testing and we're working with the authorities to see uh, how uh, how we move forward and get a final design approved so that we can help that shortage as well. And of course, the third product we've been making is actually face masks. Um, and this is a, a good example of our sort of preferred prototype that's going through testing. It's a simple sort of snap together like pieces of Lego design. And the great thing about this, Julia, is it, it should be reusable. You know, if we can find a way to sterilize this and work with the, with the authorities on the design of it, as well as the, uh, the efficacy uh, and, and hygiene to be able to sterilize it, it's then reusable time and time again. And, and one of the reasons for the shortfall is that a lot of the current masks are used once, and then done.
0: Yeah, we were talking on the show about perhaps using radiation or ozone to try and clean the ones that are out there. So you just mentioned that you've got to get approval to be able to get these out to frontline workers. Do you have any sense of how long it could take to see our healthcare workers using your product?
5: You know, there's there's been some really good forums and collaborations between the medical professions uh, and the suppliers over the last week. I'm hopeful that with the uh, the work that's been done in the last week, we're, we're only days away rather than months wow. away. Um, and so, you know, there is a lot of um, really good intent and collaboration, but obviously, um, you know, the, the, the people that are the experts want to make sure that the efficacy and the sterilization is, is really in place and proven, as well as some pragmatism. You know, if there's a shortage and, and there's nothing, then I, I think, you know, some of these designs Um, We'll we'll get more and more attention and actually the approval might be accelerated um, to prove the efficacy and prove the the hygiene and sterilisation. So we're hopeful it stays rather than months.
0: We'll keep fingers crossed for you. What about your workers? Have you managed to retain all the workers that you had before? And we're just hearing more and more stories of workers that are still in offices and in plants like your own saying we're a little bit cautious about our own health and safety here so what are you doing to protect your own workers at this moment
6: yeah
5: rightly so you know our our own workers um we put in an edict last week where anybody on site um and i'm the exception at the moment because i'm sitting in a conference room doing an interview with you guys but to be honest every worker that's in the facility i'm in currently here in nashville is wearing um gloves and a face mask and we've had that in place since last week, and we've got a very good supply. Again, our procurement team saw this epidemic and pandemic coming a few months ago and started to get ahead of it. Um, so, from a, a worker point of view, you know, we've uh, we've given them the personal prote- protective equipment to do their role. We've also significantly stepped up uh, our own hygiene uh, procedures here, including you know um, more regular sweeping of of the uh, the areas to, to clean the floors with um, the approved chemicals as well as all the high contact surfaces in the break rooms, in the bathrooms, in the workplace. And, uh, you know, we, we've really doubled down on that. And we're not stopping, you know, we're keeping up to speed with all the latest guidelines from the CDC as that changes and evolves and we learn more. Um, so we really are, you know, trying to make um, make our, our workers feel um, incredibly safe during a very difficult time. Um, but it's, a, it's an evolving picture, so we've got to stay on top of it.
0: Yeah, and you have to uh, protect your staff and, and yourself, of course, too. Very quickly, money. Who's paying for this? Are you as a company paying for this? And do you have any guarantees of whether the innovation and the work that you're putting in here will, in the end, at least, at least allow you to break even and, and pay your workers? How is it working with the financials?
5: Yes. Yeah, so, you know, as well as the face masks uh, and face shields, this face shield retails for like 10 bucks, 50 cents. And the intent there is very much just to cover our costs. We're not looking to make a profit here. We're just looking to do the right thing. And as well as, you know, some of the volume will also be donated by the, uh, the owners of this business to, to causes that they've, you know, they, they sponsor and are interested in um, it, it, across the U.S. from coast to coast and border to border. So we're actually not looking to make a profit here. Remember too, of course, that our everyday business is still very much open for business. So, you know, whether you're a, an existing customer going through a treatment plan of teeth alignment, uh, or whether you're a new customer looking to start a treatment plan and have the smile you've always dreamed of, um, you can s- simply go on on online to the Smile Direct website and request an impression kit. And in the comfort and safety of your own home, you can take a, a 3D mold of, of your, your current teeth, send that back to us, and then we'll send you an email within a few days that'll give you um, you know a link to uh, to the graphics that show how your teeth and your smile will improve over your treatment plan. So it's really Let's. our everyday business that's, uh, that's keeping us um, afloat, and, and you know we've we've seen uh, we've seen an uptick in in, in uh, impression kits being ordered, which is uh, which is great. And, um, you know, the uh, the masks and the shields are uh, and then, you know, a, 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 an additional activity as well.
0: Interesting. People are looking to fix their teeth while they're at home. So that's, that's a good sign of people hoping to uh, see the end of this uh, pretty soon. Dan, well, this thank is, you. This
5: is, uh, all right. <laughs> I'll let you I go.
0: have to go. <laughs> you and I can keep talking, but I have to take a break and uh, get to the market open. Great to have you with us. Mask on, gloves thanks, on again, thanks. please. Stay safe. Thanks. Dan Baker, head of global supply chain at Smart Direct Club market opens next. To first move, I'm Julia Chesley live from New York and we do see a lower open for US stocks. We actually missed the bell this morning because I was so entranced by that 3D printing conversation but that is the snapshot as we set off on the final trading day of the first quarter. The Dow and the S&P are coming off their fourth gain in five sessions but we're still looking at steep losses for the quarter. Coming into this session, the Dow had fallen some 21%. The S&P 500 not far behind as you can see and as all as those stats are it would have been far worse without the gains that we saw in last week's session and I can just give you a quick look at that too Hard Hit Retail will be in focus once again Shares of Macy's Coles and Gap all falling sharply yesterday after hundreds and thousands of workers were furloughed Visa also lowered its outlook today, saying consumer spending has sharply declined, even online. Richard Quest joins me now. Richard, no surprise to see workers furloughed from the big retail companies, some of those struggling already. Visa saying consumer confidence has clearly taken a knock here. The question for me, and it ties to Goldman Sachs's report this morning, they're predicting a V-shaped recovery into the third quarter. What do we think of that?
6: All right. So I think we need to look at the technicalities of what people are saying when they mean a V-shaped recovery. If you switch it on, if you switch the U.S. economy on again, all of a sudden you will get a V-shape. Just logically, you've gone down very sharply because you stopped overnight and you will come back very sharply because you will have started the whole thing on again. Remember, Julia, many of the millions of people who've been furloughed will be taken immediately back on again when the companies reopen. Most of these companies are not going out of business. They are merely shedding their workforce temporarily to cut costs. So when you switch the whole thing on again, you will get a V shape. However, will you get a V that goes all the way back to where we were? No, is the answer. You'll get a sort of a a weird looking V shape, a very sudden start that will taper off into a bend as we get to a new normal, as more companies realize the longer term damage.
0: Absolutely, and of course, and we always bring it back to this: as we start to kickstart the economy, does it happen on a staggered basis? What does confidence look like at that stage, and how confident are people that we're on top of the virus? And that's going to come down to medical science.
6: The, you've got it the right way round. Absolutely, the first question is: Are they? Are we beating the virus? everything else flows from that. It's a virus economy, as I think you've been saying. Everything flows. Are we defeating the virus? If we are, then a V-shape sooner becomes possible. If we're not, then a V-shape later in the year becomes more likely. And related to that, all the guidance, all the numbers, all the sort of uh, prognostications from companies, they're meaningless. Uh, At the moment, they have got absolutely no vision on how their trading position is at the moment, what the real numbers look like, other than immediate sales and how they're able to draw down on their cash lines. Other than that, my understanding is, most companies are flying in the dark, their numbers are too unreliable.
0: And many of them are pulling guidance as a result because they simply can't forecast. Richard Quest, a pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you. Now, some major companies racing to produce much-needed ventilators. Ford says it plans to buy 50,000, build 50,000 ventilators, my apologies, by early July. And GM is expected to produce 10,000 per month starting next month. Tesla and Dyson are also working to make them, and they're now joined by aerospace company Virgin Orbit. Once it gets approval from the FDA, the California-based rocket startup says it can quickly manufacture ventilators on a large scale scale. Joining us now is Virgin Orbit president and CEO Dan Hart. Dan, fantastic to have you with us. This is incredible for me. I mean, the backdrop says everything. Normally, you guys build rockets. You recognized a problem. You went to the governor of California and said, how can we help?
7: Exactly. You know, we're not usually um, medical specialists. So, But we sat around and said, you know, we have some incredibly innovative engineers. We've got a factory. We've got manufacturing capability. We reached out and said, you know, what can we do? We were we were connected with a team who um, are from universities, University of California Irvine and University of Texas Austin, working on how to take what is normally in an ambulance an ambu bag. It's a breathing apparatus that they squeeze manually. How do we automate that simply? and get something produced. And so we went to work and we we put together a prototype and we're getting ready to produce it.
0: I mean, we're showing our viewers images now of of what you've created. And just to be clear, these are not like the ventilators that the worst patients that are that are the most restricted in terms of breathing go on these perhaps will allow those ventilators to be saved for the worst affected patients and those that just need some breathing support can use your ventilators is that right
7: that's that's exactly right yeah the idea that these uh doctors came up with was you know how do we create something for the moderately affected patient which is most of the patient's and that way, the, the really high cost and, and difficult to acquire items are, are reserved for ICUs.
0: And how many of these can you produce a week?
7: You know, we're figuring that out right now, but we can start off producing hundreds. And then we feel that very quickly we can get into thousands. We will uh, bring in other manufacturers and uh, we think we can really pump these out. They're very the- simple to make.
0: And what's the cost of, of one device? And I asked the question in my conversation before, how do you get compensated even if it's just a cost? Is, there, is the state gonna support you in, in making these or do you have to wear some of the cost yourself as a company?
7: I think it'll be a mix of that. And, and we're in the process of figuring out what the early unit costs are, which is a little higher because there's a lot of overhead associated with them. And then how do we really normalize to a lower cost device?
0: And talk to me about FDA approval, because this is the key. I know they're operating under emergency procedures, so they're fast-tracking devices such as these. What are you hearing from the FDA?
7: Well, I mean, the good news is it's clear that uh, devices like this have the attention of the highest levels. Uh, I was on the phone yesterday with the uh, uh, deputy secretary for uh, HHS. Um, We've had discussions with the White House. So there's There's huge interest in identifying and moving things forward. There is a process to go through that we're working through. And at the same time, we're working with the state of California to see what they can do.
0: And in a best case scenario, what do you think in terms of production time, how long it takes to produce one of these things, and then hopefully getting approval and getting them into hospitals? Because that's the key.
7: We want to get 100 plus of these built next week. Um, And we will ramp up very, very uh, rapidly from there. So we're hoping, and and certainly the medical community and the regulation is important. uh, Assuming that goes well, we hope to have these in use in a couple of weeks.
0: This is incredible. So even if it takes, let's say three weeks, are you gonna still try and produce 100 every week until then simply so that you're ready with the maximum available once you get that approval to push them out?
7: our pedal is to the metal yeah so we we plan on on ramping quickly and the team is working 24 7 i've never seen them more motivated than right now
0: just talk to me about how you're protecting your workers too because this is an ongoing issue for all workers it's a different front line but it's a front line in this crisis nonetheless how are you protecting your workers
7: you know, we, we, we stopped last week and we spent the entire week redesigning how we do work. And so we're separate, we've separated our workers, we've add more air purification and airflow. we've added some protective equipment. We, we normally use protective equipment because we use liquid oxygen and other rocket fuels. Um, so we, we have to use it, we're now using it routinely. Um, so we're taking many, many steps like that. And of course, most of the team is working virtually. And that helps tremendously.
0: Yeah, you're it's a challenge heroes.
7: communication learning.
0: Can I just ask a quick question about communication? Not just at the state level, but you also said you're now speaking to the White House. There's been a lot of... Cautious criticism that perhaps we could produce some of this in medical equipment that we have severe shortages of around the country quicker if there were better top-down communication and coordination between potential producers and device makers and component makers. Is that your experience, or is your experience different?
7: You know, we're just getting into those discussions, but so far we've we've been able to access the right people. Um, we're hopeful that that we can move forward. And, and and I know that at the state level, at the federal level, I mean, let's face it, everybody's swamped. Um, and so we're doing everything we can to push the information as fast and as clearly as we can so the right decisions can get made.
0: Dan, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to you and your team. It's uh, great to have your innovation. Thank you.
7: Have a great morning.
0: You too. All right, coming up on First Move, the company tracking fevers to keep an eye on the spread of the coronavirus and to push out resources where they may be required. The CEO and founder of Kinza joins us next to explain. Welcome back to the show. Testing, testing, testing. I'm quoting the World Health Organization. We are all aware that testing for coronavirus cases is critical to tackling and controlling the spread. Well, one company is taking an alternative route to tracking these outbreaks. Kinza is using smart thermometers and AI to follow fevers identify hotspots and create heat maps like the one you're seeing now. Their tech even shows how social distancing can have an impact. Watch very carefully. This graph shows the climbing rate of fevers in New York and then it shows the drop-off as distancing measures are introduced very clever for more i'm joined by inda singh he's founder and ceo of kinza great to have you with us inda thank you so much for um for joining us today just explain to us in more detail how you're tracking fevers
8: so we make this um we invented the connected thermometer about eight years ago um what do you do when you get sick um you grab the thermometer and if you have a fever you take your temperature and so it's not just a tool that helps you respond. Our, our product does far more than an ordinary thermometer. It connects into a health app and it provides guidance based on your age, your symptoms. But it's also a predictive tool. And um, over the past eight years, and the whole idea of uh, starting the company was not only could we help someone who had just fallen ill, we could get the necessary data to map where outbreaks were occurring and predict who was going to get sick. And over the past eight years, that's exactly what we've done with flu. Um, So for the past eight years, we've been um, mapping that data and predicting flu many weeks in advance. Today, we can predict the rest of flu season from September 15th on a city-by-city basis. And that's a significant breakthrough that's happened with us in the last year. What we've then done um, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, we started retooling that effort. And what we're doing is looking for where fever clusters, for where people are getting sick, We're removing out the ordinary cold and flu from that signature, and what's left over is unusual levels of fever. And what we found, and we've mapped that on healthweather.us, what we found is those hot spots of unusual levels of fever are highly correlated with COVID-19 case increases. So it is a predictive tool um, in that way.
0: But it's reliant on people having one of these thermometers and doing a temperature check and then that data feeding back into your systems. Just because we were talking about the data for New York, how many people have actually got these in New York that allows you to track this data?
8: So uh, we have about a million thermometers across the United States. Typically, it's one smart thermometer per household. So we often have many users per household. Um, It's often used by households of three, four people. Um, Last week alone, we got over 1,580,000 temperatures in one week. Um, And so that's, it it is a sample of the population, but again, over the past eight years, what we've done is correlated that to historical data to confirm that it's an accurate predictor of what's happening with flu. And again, that's what we've retooled this year to remove uh, the cold and flu signature out of it to see what is unusual, the unusual levels of fever that are occurring across the country.
0: It's quite fascinating because For me, what this is clearly doing is collecting data far quicker than perhaps the CDC can because they're going to have to wait for data that comes from urgent care reports, from hospitals themselves and the number of people walking in with fevers. This is far quicker
8: yeah, those data sets are unfortunately delayed on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Not only does not not only do people not go to the doctor right away, um and not everyone goes to the doctor, um but then there's a subsequent delay after that in aggregating the data. Um, so when we started the company, that was the idea. How do you get real-time data from someone who has just fallen ill? because that is the missing ingredient data set. If you had that, you could identify where people were getting sick, how fast it was spreading amongst those people. And that's what you need to curb an outbreak. If you know um, where people are starting to get sick, it's like a flashlight going off. It's saying, hey, there is uh, a group of people getting sick, send the test kits in, send the virologists in, and investigate. It's not telling you specifically what it is, but it's giving you a strong indicator that something unusual is happening, and and that's the purpose of HealthWeather.us. It is to say these are where the resources need to go now. And you know, if I if I look at HealthWeather.us, my biggest concern, if I if I'm being honest here, is in Florida. Um, we saw a massive rise of fevers over the course of a week. It more than doubled uh, the ordinary levels of fever that we were we would expect. That's concerning in and of itself, and it's even more concerning because Florida has, uh, a, has a demographic population, it has elderly and a lot of vulnerable people so that are potentially susceptible to COVID-19 um, and it's spreading. And so that was concerning. It's also, of course, we're also seeing hotspots across the U.S. Um, in addition to Florida, but Florida in particular was rather concerning because of how fast that fever level rose um, and, uh, and the demographics that are there.
0: That was exactly the question that I was going to ask you, and whether <laughs> you're seeing Florida, just given the reports that we've seen of people flooding into Florida, even from New York, to try and get away from what we're seeing here and the risk that it's it's heating up there in, in, in terms of those that could potentially be affected. What about shelter in place very quickly in California? Have you seen the impact of the stringent restrictions that they've put in place there dampening the, the fever count that we're seeing?
8: I can't imagine how hard it is for government officials to make decisions that are pitting livelihood versus lives and that's a false, you know, you don't need to do, you don't need to pit livelihood versus lives. In this particular case, what we saw in California was quite amazing. The the unusual fever levels just, it just got up a little bit above what you would ordinarily expect and because shelter in place was implemented so early, you immediately saw a curbing of the fever levels uh, in California. That's not to say people don't have COVID-19. There was definitely a small spike above the usual levels of fever. But what we're clearly seeing in the data is that people's sacrifices are working. You know, people are staying at home and they're saying, "Gosh, I don't know anyone who's sick. Um, you know, why am I sitting here by myself?" But people need to know their sacrifices are helping. We are breaking the chain of infection. Shelter in place is working. And it's clear among in the data, every place that has implemented it, we're seeing that
0: the messages stay at home. Inda, stay in touch. I've got more questions for you, so I'm going to come back to you uh, after the show finishes. But for now, great to uh, great to hear what you're doing, Inda Singh, founder and CEO of Kinza. Thank you for joining us there. Coming up on First Move, we go to Italy, where a deafening silence is honouring the victims of the coronavirus pandemic. The cities and towns of Italy fell yet more silent today. The European epicentre for the coronavirus outbreak held a minute's silence in honour of those struck down by the disease. So far, COVID-19 has killed more than 10,000 people in Italy. Flags flew at half-staff, half-mast across the country and at the Vatican in remembrance of those lost. We remember them too. Goodbye and thank you for joining us.